morning. Welcome. Um, well, let's see. What kind of announcements do we have? Of course, on Thursday night, we have our potluck, and we would love to have you meet us here. And we've started it at 6, and, and, um, and that's on Thursday night. Even if you don't have anything, it's, it's a good thing to come. It's good fellowship. Men's Bible study will be next Tuesday night. Um, and that starts at what, Robert, 7? Not deciding? Oh, not decided yet. Okay, well, anyway, um, if you plan to come, check with Robert. Check with Robert, yeah. The women's study will be uh, next Tuesday uh, morning at 10 uh, with the Grace Bible study. We're going to do Job. Um, we're still collecting food for the Gospel Rescue, and... Um, Anyway, John has got uh, his podcast back there. If you've missed a service, you can always listen to that. And, um, you know, we the Christian Fellowship Group usually meets on the third Saturday, but we uh, got here a little early on Thursday, and we took, the, um, we took the Christmas stuff down, mostly. I mean, we still have some banners, but otherwise uh, we got most of that. So thank you for those that came. And, um, and then uh, on, if you want to come a little early on Sundays, we do have uh, Robert Leeds, uh, the psalm. We were in 55 today, and so next week it'll be Psalm 56. So come join us. It's at 8.15, and um, anyway, it's really interesting. We go through each psalm individually. So, so I, yeah, Bonnie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you. He usually doesn't get here quite on time, so um, we hope that he's coming. We're preparing for him. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, I guess we should have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you might be here this morning with us. And um, send your Holy Spirit like we, uh, we prayed and we sang. And um, Lord, we just ask that you help our ears and our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to be bent towards you, uh, that you would use Ray and, um, to bring the message to us, Lord. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. Um, in this devotional, um, there is a spot in here where you get to join me. The triumphs of grace. I, even I am, he who blots out your transgressions. When Charles Wesley experienced the joy of divine forgiveness, he told a Moverian friend of his new sense of pardon and added, I suppose I had better keep it silent. Oh no, my brother, if you had a thousand tongues, you should go and use them all for Jesus. Charles Wesley went home, wrote the great hymn, 
Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My, this is where you get to join me. My great Redeemer's praise, all glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. I didn't hear you singing. Oh, sorry. Um, to a burdened, crushed world, under the weight of its own wickedness, God says, I, even I am, he who blots out your transgressions. This is the glorious news, and it applies to all people, everywhere, including you. Have you received the gift of God's forgiveness? If you have, thank him for it. And if not, by faith, invite Christ into your life today. And the hope for today, God offers forgiveness and freedom to those shackled by sin and shame. And today, through Christ, you have the option of letting go of guilt and embracing grace. And all God's people said,
reading this morning is from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord camps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll recite the Lord's Prayer together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're doing just praise the Lord. us all. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands to heaven and praise the Lord. Oh, we thank you for your kindness. We from above. We've been sharing all the good things the family can afford. Let's just turn our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. Lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Just the precious name of Jesus is worthy of our praise. Let us bow our knees before him, our hands to heaven raised. When he comes in clouds of glory, with him to ever reign. Let's just lift our happy voices and praise his name. Let's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Let's just praise. 
Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hearts to heaven and praise the Lord. Kathy says you may be seated. <laughs> our New Testament reading this week comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the same time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw, saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. If you'll join me now in the responsive reading. Savior, teach me day by day Love's sweet lesson to obey. Sweeter lesson cannot be loving him who first loved me. With a child's glad heart of love, at thy bidding may I move. Prompt to serve and follow thee, loving him who first loved me. Teach me thus thy steps to trace, strong to follow in thy grace, learning how to love from thee loving him who first loved me. Love in loving finds employ in obedience all her joy. Ever knew that joy will be loving him who first loved me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you were the first one to love us. And we know that you are the creator of all and really all belongs to you and you entrust to us and you call for us to give back, to freely give, 
to share what you have been so gracious in sharing us with us to share with others to help spread your word to to uh, lean or to share the teachings of your son so lord as the gifts that are given today may they go and and share that love that you have shown us and and show the spirit that your son taught us this we ask in jesus name amen
our brother John was in the choir that sang on this recording. The title of my sermon this morning is Lamb of God. Show us slide one, please. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, NIV. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. That's from Isaiah 53. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Forgiveness. Do we really understand forgiveness? God has a totally different definition of forgiveness than do we. Show us slide two, please. You've heard of God's sea of forgetfulness. Where's that scripture? Micah, chapter 7, verse 19. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. In Hebrews chapter 12, St. Paul refers to a new covenant. Whereby he says, I will never again remember their sins. This covenant of grace, which has been brought into effect by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, it's, uh, it's so difficult for us to comprehend the fact that once we confess our sins, they are removed from us, as the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. There's a song by Casting Crowns that I am uh, quite fond of, and the lyrics go, Lord, I'm drowning in your sea of forgetfulness. Can you show me just how far the east is from the west. Lonely, Lord, only you know how far it is from one scarred hand to the other. How far is the east from the west? What the singer is saying here is, Lord, I can't comprehend your grace. I can't even begin to understand it. But God does not remember our past. He chooses not to. He will not allow himself to remember our past. To God, east continues east to infinity, and west continues west to infinity, and they never meet. 
What does scripture mean? Our sins have been thrown into the depths of the ocean. I've done a lot of scuba diving in my time, and one of my fondest memories was diving in the Southern Caribbean in a, uh, off a little island called St. Lucia. And St. Lucia has what divers refer to as wall, which means you're swimming along on a, uh, what you think is the ocean floor, and then all of a sudden it drops off to oblivion. It's the closest I believe most of us will ever be able to come to a spacewalk. Because you wear this vest in which you inject air and it will keep you neutral or buoyant at whatever level you wish to be at. St. Lucia was famous for drift diving, which means there's so much current around the edges of the island that you can jump off your dive boat Go down to 30 feet, get static, and tuck yourself into a position where you can just float along with the current. But the majesty of St. Lucia is you float along on that current, and you get comfortable with being X amount of feet off the floor of the ocean, and all of a sudden, you're looking down into oblivion. The dive master on that dive told me that the depths were six to eight hundred feet. But you see, light does not reflect off the ocean floor beyond 200 feet. So we were diving at about 30 to 40 feet. We dropped down to 50 feet and we float over the edge of this wall. And all of a sudden, you're in a spacewalk. You look down and you can't see anything, it's so deep. You look down into nothingness. You look down into oblivion and that's where God has cast our sins. Let us pray. Father God, we don't know how to begin to be properly thankful for your forgetfulness. And we're amazed that you have purposed to be forgiving and forgetful of our sins. It blows our minds that we can come to you after the fact, continuing to confess our sins, and in point of fact, you're asking, what are you talking about? I have forgotten. I have forgiven. Father, this morning, rest your Holy Spirit on each of us. Encourage us. Lift us up to our knees. Give us thankful hearts. Open ears that we may hear all that you would say to us this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Max Lucado has said there is a missing beatitude. You remember the beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor. He says it goes like this. Blessed is the person who knows what they're called to do and is busy about doing it. Now, of course, there is no missing beatitude. 
But if there were, blessed is he who knows what he's called to do and is busy about it, that would certainly fill the bill. Today we're starting a series on the uh, sermons, or a series of sermons on the I Am's of Jesus. Various titles Jesus gave himself from the Gospel of John. And if there's a missing I am in the I am's of Jesus, it would be I am the Lamb of God. Jesus never says this. And I find it fascinating that Jesus never once used this title in all of Scripture. Lamb of God. When to me, Lamb of God is his most important title. But we must ask ourselves why. Jesus happily referred to himself as the Son of Man, Son of God, many other references that represented him to be Messiah. In all the Gospels, only one person ever calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Who would that be? John the Baptist. There's a profound reason why Jesus never called himself by this title. So let's dig down deep and try to figure out why. Jesus represents himself with seven namesakes. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. It only seems logical that I am the Lamb of God would sum up all of these. But, never does Jesus say to himself, I am the Lamb of God. Jesus' entire life and ministry points to him as such, the Lamb of God. How did John the Baptist know Jesus was the Lamb of God? Same way the shepherds knew. Holy Spirit revelation. Until the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you as the Lamb of God, you will not know him. Slide number three, please. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Slide number four, please. John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize him with water, he told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen Lamb of God. John announced Jesus twice as the Lamb of God, and nowhere else in Scripture is Jesus called by this namesake, except in St. Peter's first epistle and St. John's revelation, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Twenty-nine times in St. John's revelation, the Lamb is used as the exalted title of Jesus and what's the theme of Revelation? The preeminent Christ. The Lamb of God revealed in consummate majesty, power, judgment, and redemption of his creation. All of it. All of it. You may find a certain logic in why Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, the resurrection, the light of the world, and thereby you may be able to say you know something about Jesus. But the only way you can truly know Jesus is to know him as the sacrificial lamb who offered up himself for the forgiveness of your sins. The only way you can know him is to claim that forgiveness. John 5, 24. These are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. What message? Those who believe my message... I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth. I am the only one who can give you eternal life. I am the one and only Savior of the world, the one and only Lamb of God. Slide number five, please. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang, blessing and honor, glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Why do we sing? Why do we worship in song? Why has God given all his creatures a song? Do you ever wonder what song the humpback whale sings? What song the mockingbird sings? What song does the elk bugle and the wolf howl? They're smarter than us. They sing the praises of God, and they do it all day long. There will be a day when all of God's creatures will sing the same song. 
Can I hear an amen? Of all the names of Jesus, why does Isaiah call him God's suffering servant? Why was it necessary that he should suffer more than any man who ever lived? An infinite God could have created infinite ways for our salvation. But he chose what we fear most, death. Isaiah 53. Here we are given in graphic detail the why. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb. Slide 6, please. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Jesus knew deepest grief. He knew sorrow. But these did not define who he was or how he acted. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. We were indifferent to what he suffered. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Jesus didn't carry a cross. He carried your weaknesses and your sorrow. The cross was just symbolic. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He who was perfectly whole was beaten so we could be whole. Did you catch the irony in the passion of the cross or the passion of the Christ? Say what you wish about Mel Gibson. He, uh, he opened our eyes to many things. But in particular, I want to call your mind to the scene at the whipping post. And after they have whipped Christ back and removed most of the flesh from his back, then they roll him over like a rotisserie and start beating on his front side. And after they cut him loose, did you pay attention? Mother Mary comes up and she wants to hold her son, but she's intercepted by, of all people, Pilate's wife. And what does Pilate's wife give her? She has an armful of clean linen. And she hands them to Mary. You remember that scene? The puzzlement on Mary's face. What am I supposed to do with these? Am I supposed to bind up his wounds? It'd be like putting band-aids on arterial bleeding. What am I to do with these linens? Are these for his burial? Or do you expect me to mop up all the blood? Do you remember that scene? He was whipped so we could be healed. Did anyone at Jesus' scourging, including the disciples, did they comprehend that all the healings Jesus had done in his ministry? Did they see it? 
that he was paying for all those healings. He was paying it forward. Every piece of flesh that was torn from his body, he was paying it forward for our healing. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Hebrew words for griefs and sorrows specifically mean physical affliction. Think on that. Matthew 8, 17 says that Jesus healing the sick was the fulfillment of this verse from Isaiah. He was whipped for our healing. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Isaiah, I always say, is the gospel according to Isaiah. Show slide seven, please. Verse seven. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Romans 4.25 from the NIV. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. And then what does it say? When you have done all to stand, just stand. Just stand. Stand in that grace. Slide number eight, please. What is justification? According to Mr. Webster, it means to be made right in the sight of God. Jesus conquering the grave and absorbing the Father's judgment on sin made us right with God. Jesus conquering the grave on our behalf has given us eternal life and eternity by his side. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. But are we living in peace? We're living in a culture that knows nothing about peace. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I could preach that every week and it wouldn't be enough. It's uh, another verse we need to scotch tape to our refrigerator door. So how do we fix our thoughts on Jesus? Have you ever heard of Brother Andrew? And I'm not talking about the, uh, I believe he was a Dutch missionary 
who smuggled Bibles into Soviet Russia. I'm talking about the brother Andrew who preceded him by several centuries. Brother Andrew was a Carmelite monk who lived in the 16th century. A book has been written about his life entitled Practicing the Presence of God. And of all the magnificent things written about Brother Andrew, I like this quote the best. His life, every moment of his life, was a prayer. An unending conversation with God. It is also said of Brother Andrew that he remained in prayer even as he washed the dishes. In his monastery, that was his job, is to wash the dishes after the evening meal. And his fellow monks recalled that every time he washed the dishes, he prayed, and he even sang his prayers. If you want to go deeper in your prayer life, check out that book, Practicing the Presence of God, or With Christ in the School of Prayer, by Andrew Murray. What is the power of personal prayer? We talked about this last week. Personal prayer is communion with God. How could that not be powerful? Max Lucado. Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts at prayer may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is the one who hears and not the one who says, our prayers do make a difference. The power of prayer is in he who hears our prayers. E.H. Peterson. The world is a mob in which everyone is talking at once and no one is willing or able to listen. But God listens. He not only speaks to us, he listens to us. His listening to us is an even greater marvel than the fact that he speaks to us. It is rare to find anyone who will listen carefully and thoughtfully. When it happens, we know that what we say and what we feel is all of a sudden immensely important and we acquire dignity. We never know how well we think or speak until someone listens. And when that someone is almighty God, we find heaven on earth. And what is the power of corporate prayer? Do you remember Acts chapter 12? Herod has thrown Peter into prison. And Herod wants to make sure Peter does not escape. So he signs four squads of soldiers to Peter to guard him day and night. That's 16 soldiers. Not only that, he's chained one soldier to each hand 24-7. So Peter cannot escape. And what happens? The church prays. And somewhere around midnight, Peter's chains fall off. And when he's outside the prison, he's slapping himself and that this is a dream. No, it's not a dream. And he goes to the house where they're praying and he knocks on the door and the servant girl named Rhoda 
answers the door and she is amazed. So she doesn't even open the door. She runs back and tells all the disciples, Peter's here. <laughs> oh, you sweet child. You saw a ghost. You saw an angel. No, he's here. Well, finally, they open the door. That's kind of like our prayers, isn't it? I heard somebody say in one of our Thursday night prayer meetings, that we prayed for so-and-so, and we prayed for so-and-so. And do you know they were, they didn't say it this way, but, but the thought was they were actually healed. That's kind of like our prayers. We pray thinking, oh, well, God might answer that. And then when he does, we're surprised. We don't know the power of corporate prayer. In summation, who is the Lamb of God and why did it have to be that he would suffer and die for us? Show us slide nine, please. Why the cross? I, uh, last Thanksgiving, we went up to visit uh, family in uh, Chandler. And I was talking to one of my family members, and the conversation got deep into uh, what he calls the religious. And I asked him, uh, why did Christ die? Oh, I, he was just a martyr. I said, why on a cross? He, he, he was just a martyr. Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, I believe he was a historical figure, yes. But do you believe he died for your sins? No, 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 no. He was just a martyr. Just a martyr. John three seventeen, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. If you were alive and a Christian in 1985, you'll remember the song by Twilight Paris. I'm not a cantor, but I, uh, I can't quote this without singing it. Your only son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty sod and to become the Lamb of God. Your gift of love they crucified they laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in his precious blood. My Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost, I should have died. 
But you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to be called the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in his precious blood till I am just a Lamb of God. Did you catch that last sentence? Until I am just a Lamb of God. Until I'm nothing else but a Lamb of God. Until nothing matters to me other than being in his flock, allowing him to be my shepherd and provider. Is that our prayer this morning? I do hope it is. To be nothing else but a lamb of God. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are full of song this morning. Our souls are singing. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Father, in Jesus' name, we just want to be a lamb embraced and enthralled in the arms of Jesus. We would not stray. Father, by your Holy Spirit, strengthen us, encourage us that we may not stray from the arms of love. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My benediction this morning from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over all the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father to him the Lord Jesus, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Blessings to you all.